thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from PNC Park in Pittsburgh. It's the Cleveland Indians 6, the Pittsburgh Pirates 3. The Indians win in the 10th inning. We go to extra innings in this game, and the Indians, the away team, pull it out. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And it definitely was an interesting game to watch last night because, boy, aside from a few innings, the pitching really dominated this game. And it's something that I was looking into before we were heading into this game because right now the Indians and the Pirates have the two worst OPSs in Major League Baseball. But something told me, I just had this hunch that, you know, when something lines up like that, you just have a hunch that it's going to be the opposite, right? It, I had a feeling that this series is going to be a couple of high-scoring games. And I would say 6-3 to three is a, a decently high-scoring game for the two worst OPS teams in Major League Baseball. Uh, the two worst batting average teams in Major League Baseball. Or two of the worst. So I think that even though the Indians offense cannot be considered red hot, right? I mean, they're still the worst team in baseball when it comes to hitting, depending on what stats you look at. But they're starting to do things when they need to do things, right? Come through in the clutch, get big hits with bases loaded, get big hits with runners in scoring position. So they're doing enough right now to support the best pitching staff in baseball. And that's that's the way this team is designed. This, this team is designed to pitch great, and do enough at the plate to support that. So there were also a couple of hard-hit balls tonight that didn't get the results that we thought they would. Santana, before his... Santana was the hero, the big home run in the 10th inning that gave the Indians that three-run lead. Before that, he had a couple of hard-hit balls. Famil Reyes, even though he didn't have a hit on the night, he had a couple of hard-hit balls, drove in an RBI. So... They were making solid contact. You know, maybe they just weren't having the luck last night, but they did enough in the end to support the great pitching. So let's take a look at how it all went down. And Pittsburgh actually got things going early. For the bottom of the first, Carrasco does strike out Frazier to start the game, but then gives up a double to Kevin Newman. Josh Bell grounds out. That moves Kevin Newman up to third. And then Colin Moran with two outs is clutch for the Pirates, gets a big clutch two-out hit. He actually hit into the shift and was able to single past the shift into right field and bring in Kevin Newman. Crasco ends it there, and they get out of it. one nothing. Still, you really would like to see the Indians jump on a team early as opposed to them jumping on us, right? It would have felt better if the Indians had gotten that first run across, but the Indians hang in there. Carlos Carrasco hangs in there. He pitches good into the third inning. Cesar Hernandez leads off with a double. And in his first at-bat, he crushed the ball as well and just missed getting a double, right? The outfielder was able to catch up to it. This one, Dyson cannot catch up to it. Goes for a double. Jose Ramirez walks. On a wild pitch, Cesar Hernandez moves up to third. All right, we got something cooking here. Francisco Lindor, big RBI spot. Runners on the corner. He walks. Nothing wrong with that. Respectable. We got bases loaded now. Nobody out. And Carlos Santana delivers a line drive single up the middle. 
brings in Cesar Hernandez, brings in Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor moves up to third, and it was a great piece of hitting by Carlos Santana. He didn't, you know, check swing it in the left field or something like that. That's not what we're asking him to do. He took a good swing. He took a hard Carlos Santana swing, but he stayed up the middle of the field. He didn't hit into that shift. He stayed up the middle and was able to line it right out to center to Dyson and score two runs. That is a good major league professional swing right there. So it was great to see. And he was hitting the ball hard all night. Fermil Reyes comes up and he drives one to deep center. I was listening to that call on the radio and Hamilton definitely thought that was going to be extra basis. However, Dyson is... One of the only guys probably in center field that could catch up to this ball. He tracks it down right in front of the wall. It does bring in Francisco Lindor to score on a sack fly. And then the Indians threat dies out there. But a big 3-1 lead. And the way the Indians are pitching, you kind of felt like 3-1 might, might be all they need. However, Carrasco was not locked in last night. The Pirates threatened in the fourth. Someone's going to have to explain this play to me because I didn't see it. If, if you saw it, I, I, what I'm guessing happened is, so Colin Moran walks to start the fourth. Brian Reynolds says flies into a force out. You don't hear many guys flying into a force out. What I'm guessing is this ball bounced right in front of Tyler Naquin. The runner Moran had to hold to see if it was going to get caught. He fires it into Lindor, who fires it back to Santana, and they tag out Colin Moran. And Brian Reynolds is then safe at first. So a, a very rare play, which I, I must have been uh, getting it out of the car. I missed this one. Uh, so if, if you saw it, tweet at me or email me and let me know what the heck happened on that play. Gregory Polanco then walks. So runners on first and second. He, done, he then gets Eric Gonzalez to line out to right field. And he gets Gerard Dyson to ground out to end the threat. But a walk... Two walks in that inning did put him in trouble. So the walks are starting to pile up for Carlos Carrasco at this point. And in the fifth inning, it finally would come back to burn him. He does start the inning by striking out Jacob Stalling. Adam Frazier singles on a ground ball to left. Then he walks Kevin Newman, which moves Adam Frazier up. He then throws a wild pitch. Both runners advance, so now you got runners on second and third, and Josh Bell is up for the Pirates. Now, we talked about this a little in those summer camp episodes. I know we were just getting the show starting, so not a lot of listens on those early episodes, but that's all right. I appreciate all the support you guys and girls are giving me out there right now. So we talked about Josh Bell, and he is really the only hitter in this lineup that really strikes fear. I mean, Colin Moran's a good hitter. Some of the Adam Frazier. Kevin Newman is actually doing really well for the Pirates this season. But Josh Bell is the guy that really strikes fear. He's their perennial all-star. And he's having a tough season so far. He's only hitting 205 on the season and a 568 OPS, which is not great. That's uh, replacement level uh, batting right there. But he's their all-star. They're, they're just like some of our hitters. They're hoping he'll heat things up. And in the bottom of the fifth, he does. He hits a sharp double into right center field, gets past Tyler Naquin, goes to the wall. Both runners come in to score, and we tie this game up at 3-3. Josh Bell was definitely locked in against Carrasco. In his first at-bat against Carrasco, he hit a foul ball out of the park down the right field line. 
In fact, not only did he hit it out of the park, it bounced and went into the river. And they showed two guys, one guy who jumped into the river to go get that foul ball. Uh, that's a pretty aggressive approach by the fans there. But uh, yeah, Josh Bell clearly was locked in. And he gets Carrasco here, actually knocks Carrasco out of the game. That'd be the last batter that he faces. Oliver Perez comes in and gets two strikeouts to end the threat. So we end the fifth, five to five. And that's really, and after that, the bullpens were in for both teams. Pitching for the Pirates was Brubaker. And if you listen to the radio broadcast, you now know everything there is to know about not only Brubaker, but the entire Mac baseball league. Uh, Hamilton used this as his opportunity to stump a little bit for Mac baseball, for mid-level college baseball, and told us the whole history of Akron and Kent State, and we even had Zach Plesak came from one of these Mac teams. So uh, Hamilton, he knew it. He knew it by the third inning. He's like, I've probably talked about this enough. He even said something. He's like, okay, this is the last thing I'm going to say about it because the bases were loaded at that time, and he's still going on about it. So Brubaker is someone who came from the Max system, and he's a guy that's kind of been overlooked his whole life but has been given opportunities, and he's getting an opportunity here with the Pirates. They must have had him on a pitch count or something because they only let him throw 57 pitches, let him only go three innings. I know that was only a second start, and he's made some relief appearances. So maybe just like Plucko, they're stretching him out a bit. So we get into the bullpen, and both bullpens pitched absolutely fantastic. Uh, Holland goes two scoreless innings for the Pirates. Then Stratton comes in, strikes out two with high fastballs. And Naquin and Santana on high fastballs. He was really gassing, guys. Turley, Rodriguez, Keela pitches a uh, scoreless ninth. We'll talk about that in a second. And Howard, unfortunately, takes the loss for the Pirates. He gives up the big home run in extra innings. For the Indians, Carrasco only lasts four and a third. But then Oliver Perez comes in, gets those two big strikeouts. Cam Hill comes in, goes two-thirds of an inning. Phil Mayton comes in, goes two-thirds of an inning. He gave up a hit, but also two strikeouts. Then Karinchek, Wickerin, and Hand end the game. And the way they use Karinchek right now, Karinchek comes in in the bottom of the seventh. So Phil Mayton gets Jacob Stalling to strike out. He gets Adam Frazier out on a foul tip, so basically a strikeout. But then Kevin Newman singles, and Josh Bell is hit by a pitch. So the Pirates are threatening here. It's late in the game. They got runners on first and second. Who does Sandy Alomar go to? That's right. If you didn't hear, uh, Terry Francona stayed back in Cleveland for a few more medical tests. And uh, he's going to be coaching again, hopefully, when the team returns home against Detroit. But Sandy Alomar was coaching last night. So who does Sandy Alomar turn to when the game is in jeopardy, when the game's on the line in the bottom of the seventh with runners in scoring position? He turns to James Karachek, and he gets Colin Moran to ground out to Carlos Santana. So a high, high leverage situation right towards the end of the game. Who does he turn to? James Karachek. And who does this remind me of? It reminds me of the way they used Andrew Miller in 2016, right? When Andrew Miller came over, it was like, do you use him in the ninth? Do you use him in the eighth? What do you do with him? You already have Cody Allen as this you know, elite-level closer. So Terry Francona throws all those rules out the book and just uses Andrew Miller in high-leverage situations, right? Deploys him as his weapon out of the bullpen to shut things down. And that's exactly what Karinchek does here. And he stays in the game just like Andrew Miller would have. 
And in the bottom of the eighth, he strikes out Brian Reynolds. He strikes out Gregory Polanco, and he gets Eric Gonzalez to line out. So huge, huge relief performance again from James Karinchek. And it's going to be really hard for a a mid-reliever to win win Rookie of the Year. But I I definitely think he deserves to be in the conversation. And, I mean, if there was an All-Star game this year, I would even say he deserves to be in that conversation more than any other Indians reliever right now. All right, the Indians do get something going in the ninth, right? Both teams actually threaten in the ninth. So Domingo Santana walks to lead off the inning, and Bradley Zimmer pinch runs for him. Roberto Perez tried to get down a bunt twice. He was very frustrated with himself. He actually ended up fouling off a high fastball that he was trying to pull back on. So he eventually has to swing when he's in two strikes, when he's in the hole in the count, and he flies out to left field, can't move the runner up. Bradley Zimmer then does steal while Delino DeShields is up to bat. So he gets himself in a scoring position, but Delino DeShields strikes out, and Cesar Hernandez strikes out as well to end the threat. So the Indians did have a chance. They got their leadoff guy on. And they just couldn't do anything with it. And that, that happened a few times where they'd get a guy to second base in this game and they just couldn't do anything with it. So the clutch hitting might not you know, be all the way there yet, right? We came through in the third inning. We will get to the 10th because we definitely come through in the 10th. But there were a lot of opportunities. There's still a lot of wasted opportunities out there for the Indians offense. In the bottom of the ninth, Gerard Dyson singles on a ground ball that actually deflected off Carlos Santana's glove. It's a play Santana makes all the time where he kind of slides down to a hip and picks a ball. He just didn't come up with it this time. It ricochets off his glove, and Gerard Dyson is on the leadoff an inning, and that is not good news. In an inning where you only need to scratch one run across, having Gerard Dyson on not a good sign for Nit Wickren, who was pitching the ninth inning. They were saving hand in case they got the lead. They are able to get the sacrifice bunt down. Jacob Stallings hits a sacrifice bunt. Gerard Dyson moves up to second. Jacob Stallings is actually safe at first because Wickren got the ball and his momentum was carrying him towards second. So he just went with it. He fires the ball to second base. Gerard Dyson beats it by inches. Beats it by inches. He's safe at second. Then Lindor fires over to first, and uh, Stallings is safe. Again, a bang-bang play, and he's safe by inches. His foot just makes it down before Santana catches the ball. It's bang-bang at both bases, and even on the replay, you could clearly see that both guys were absolutely safe. So, unfortunately, it was probably the right play by Whitgren. It just didn't go that way because Dyson's one of the fastest guys in the game. However... Roberto Perez gets his revenge, and oh, how good is it to have Roberto Perez back behind the plate for plays like this, because Dyson got a little too far off the bag at second base, and Roberto Perez fired behind him, threw back to second base, Lindor actually gets his foot right in front of the bag, whether it was intentional or not, it was the perfect spot, because Dyson's hand actually gets caught up on Lindor's foot, and Lindor is able to get the tag down on uh, Dyson's rear end and tag him out before his other hand could reach the back. The play was challenged. I'm telling you, it was close. Go look at that replay. It was close, but they give the call to the Indians. If I'm in New York making that call, I might have leaned the other way, but they give the call to the Indians, and Dyson is picked off a second base. 
That was huge for Wickren. He then gets Adam Frazier to fly out to right field, and Frazier crushed this one to right field. It's a good thing Tyler Naquin was out there. As soon as the ball left the bat, I was like, Santana's not out there, right? Oh, thank God, it's Naquin. Okay. It didn't end the threat, though. So Kevin Newman actually singled to left field to Bradley Zimmer. Again, really glad Bradley Zimmer was out there and not Santana, because I don't think Domingo Santana cuts that ball off. Bradley Zimmer cut the ball off. Jacob Stallings had to stop at second. They then bring in a pinch runner, but it doesn't matter. Josh Bell, right? Here we go again. Ninth inning. We got runners in scoring position. Josh Bell up. The exact situation you don't want to be in, but Wickren actually mans up and gasses him with a fastball. I'm telling you, right down the middle. Josh Bell has no one to blame on that one but himself because Wickren just went mano a mano with him, gave him a fastball, and blew it by him. And it was 93. It's not like Wickren throws in the high 90s. Uh, it just he gassed him, got him with a fastball. All right, we move into the top of the 10th, and this is the third extra inning game that the Indians have faced, had to, had to deal with so far. And the first one, they were the home team. The last one, they were the away team. So what would they do now? They're the away team. All they got to do is scratch one run across, and then it brings in Brad Hand, and it puts all the pressure on Pittsburgh. So the uh, the pinch runner is Cesar Hernandez, or the runner is Cesar Hernandez, because he made the last out. So he starts at second base. This sounds like old man softball. Who made the last out, guys? All right, so Jose Ramirez is up. Jose Ramirez has a really tough at-bat. He fouled the ball off that looked like it would have hit him in the shin. And he fought and he fought, but eventually he goes down to a breaking ball, strikes out. He does not attempt to lay down a bunt. Sandy Alomar's approach, and this is probably the edict that was passed down from Terry Francona, if we've got the heart of the lineup up, these guys are swinging away. So, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious now that's going to be the Indians' approach in extra innings, no matter whether the home team or the away team. Francisco Lindor actually gets hit by a pitch, so he gets on. Still doesn't move that runner up, by the way. We really need to move that runner up in these extra inning games. And then Carlos Santana comes up, and I told you Carlos Santana was hitting the ball hard all night. He had a great swing to bring those two run, two runs across in the uh, third inning, and this time... He gets a fastball. They were definitely calling for a fastball up, and this fastball came down and in, and he turned on it. He crushed this ball down the left field line. I got to be honest. In the initial uh, shot, I thought it went foul. Based on Carlos Santana's body language, I thought it went foul. But after the replay, and the, the, the umpire down the line calls it a home run, Santana goes into his trot, and after the replay, and they showed this from every angle, it looked like it went over the foul pole. And the more I see the replay from behind home plate, the more it looks like, yeah, it definitely was a home run. The Pirates fans are going to argue with you. They're going to say that it, you know, from the camera and right field, it looks like it goes behind the foul pole. I don't know. It, it looked like it went way over the foul pole. That could be a little bit of forced perspective from that right field camera. I think they made the right call in this one. A home run, a huge home run from Carlos Santana. Puts the Indians up 6-3, to three, and that was all Brad Hand needed. Josh Bell starts as the runner on second base. He strikes out Colin Moran. Brian Reynolds does single on a uh, ground ball to Lindor, which moves Bell up to third. 
but then he gets Gregory Polanco to strike out swinging with runners on first and third, and he gets Eric Gonzalez to strike out swinging on his big looping slider to end the threat. And I mean, that was a threat because technically Polanco and Gonzalez were both the tying run at the plate there. So if he gives up a home run there, that game's all tied up. But he gets the big strikeout hand with another save. It's his sixth save on the season. I gotta say, it's starting to look pretty good for Brad Hand. I know it's always interesting, but hey, the ninth inning is always gonna be interesting. So the big strikeouts end the game. Whitgren actually gets the win on this one. And that's how it went down last night in Pittsburgh. Now, looking at the box score, Cesar Hernandez had you know a big hit, two runs scored on the day. That's great to see. One of them was as that pinch runner in the 10th inning. He only got on base one time. Uh, Jose Ramirez struggled, three strikeouts for him. Lindor was on base three times, the single and two walks. You know, people are on Twitter talking about Lindor's finally waking up, right? His batting average is starting to creep up a little bit. A guy that singles and walks twice, to me, that still sounds like a good leadoff hitter. I I still think, I said it on last episode, and I still think moving him up to leadoff and moving Hernandez and Ramirez down a slot, I, I don't see any problem with that. I know we all want Lindor to be this all-star, you know, third hitter in the lineup, this RBI machine. Maybe that's just not a style. They even talked about on the broadcast when he got on to lead off an inning and Santana was up, that maybe he wouldn't steal in this situation. If he was the leadoff guy, maybe he would steal. But as the third hitter with four and five coming up, you want to be on base in case they hit a home run. Well, I'd like to see him steal. I'd like to see him stay aggressive on the base pass. And so if moving into the leadoff spot is what it takes, hey, all right. All right, but let's get to the guy. The main event, Carlos Santana, goes two for five on the day, a run scored, and five RBIs. Huge from Carlos Santana. He's hitting 194 with a 720 OPS. That's insane. That math does not work out. I mean, the math works out, but it shouldn't. A 194 average with a 720 OPS. That means he's getting on base, and when he is making contact, he's doing a lot of damage with it. So five RBIs in the day. I would love to give MVP for a day to the entire Indians bullpen because the entire Indians bullpen did not give up a run after Carrasco came out of the game. But unfortunately, when a guy gets five RBIs and hits a big, unfortunately, when a guy gets a big home run in the 10th inning to win the game, you got to give him MVP for a day. So Carlos Santana, there you go. The trophy is on your mantle tonight. Carlos Santana is your MVP for a day. And the rest of the lineup did not do much behind him. Like I said, that pitching staff pitched great after Carrasco. Oliver Perez, Cam Hill, Phil Maiden, Karinchek, Wickren, and Hand, all scoreless innings pitched. 15 total strikeouts on the day for the Indians pitching staff and only three walks. So they didn't walk anybody either. So huge day. Carrasco, he did struggle. Four four and a third, five hits, three earned runs, three walks, and five strikeouts. He threw 91 pitches and only 57 for strikes in that four and a third. 
And let's take a look at Carlos Carrasco for a second and see what is going on with him that he keeps bouncing back between wins and losses, keeps bouncing back between good starts and bad starts. His last two starts have actually been a little bit rough. He went six innings in his first three starts. In his last two starts, he's only lasted four and a third. His walks are climbing in his first two starts. He only gave up one walk each game. In the last three games, it's been four walks, five walks, and three walks in this one. And let's take a look at pitch type, because I think this is interesting. So his fastball has been pretty consistent. He's been throwing it around 93 miles per hour, and he's been throwing it 34% of the time, 28, 39, 37, and 34% of the time. So he's in the 30s when it comes to throwing his fastball, right? About about 30% of the time, 35% of the time, he's going to throw that fastball. The slider has actually, uh, he's been going back and forth with the slider, it looks like. In his first start, he only threw it 12% of the time. In his last start, only 13% of the time. Last night, 26% of the time. Uh, His third start of the season, 32% of the time. So clearly he's deciding whether or not he wants to throw that slider. The curveball and the changeup seems to really be uh, the difference here. He threw that curveball 29% of the time in his first start, 23% of the time in his second start. Then it's 6%, 11%, and 6%. So he's definitely off the curveball right now. And maybe he's not feeling it. Maybe he lost the grip for it. I don't know. But he's definitely off the curveball right now. And his changeup is up. 23% of the time, 25% of the time, 22% of the time. Then he jumps in his last two starts, 36% of the time and 33% of the time. And so, yeah, so he is definitely going to the changeup more, and he is throwing the curveball less. So maybe that is what he needs to do. Maybe he needs to get back to throwing that curveball more. Looking at some of the plate discipline numbers, these are interesting. So let me break down somehow how some of these work. There's the O swing percentage. So that's outside the zone swings. How many times is he getting guys to chase outside the zone? That's actually been pretty consistent on the season. 43% to start in the 20s and then 35% last night. So he was getting guys to swing outside the zone. Here's where it was interesting last night. The Z swing percentage. That's inside the zone swinging percentage. So how many, what percentage of pitches that he threw in the zone were guys swinging at? It was in the 60s, 59% actually his last start. Last night it was 85%. So if he threw something in the zone, they were swinging at it last night. And then this one's interesting too. What about the contact? So outside the zone, the contact you would expect to be very low, right? 33% in his first start. In his next win, it was 25%. Last night it was 70%. So when they were swinging, they were making contact outside the zone. That's bizarre. And the inside the zone contact was actually down. It was 92% in his first start, which they weren't swinging most. I had a lot in his first start. But last night, it was down to only 72%. So they were swinging a lot, but they weren't making contact in the zone. Very bizarre numbers. Here's one we got to work on, though. And this might be another key. Remember, those walks are getting a problem. And it might be another key for him. In his first start, he was 83% on first pitch strikes. And if you remember, he pitched pretty good in that first start. Since then, it's only been the 50s. The last start, it dropped to 45%. Last night, it was only 52% on first pitch strikes. So he's definitely got to get that first pitch strike percentage back up. 
So there you go. So there's some of the advanced stats for Carlos Santana. You know, he's throwing his curveball less, and he's not getting first pitch strikes. There's a lot of swings at pitches in the zone. He's not fooling a lot of guys. You know, they're not having trouble picking up his pitches clearly. So maybe the curveball would help that more, mixing that back in. We'll have to see if that curveball number goes up in his next start, if he goes back to it, or if he keeps going with the slider changeup combo off of his fastball. So, you know, we all hope for big things from Carlos Carrasco, and we know how much we need him right now with two of our main starters down in the minor league system. So we'll see what Carlos Carrasco can do to bounce back. But that's your final for last night from Pittsburgh. The Indians win 6-3. to three. It's big for the Indians. We got to beat up on these lower-level teams. We got to rack up some wins and keep pace with the Minnesota Twins. Now, there is one bit of uh, national news that we got to talk about because everybody's talking about it. It's Fernando Tatis Jr.'s Grand Slam the other night when the bases were loaded on a 3-0 count in late in the game when they were already up huge. They were up 10-3 in the eighth inning. He crushes a home run out to right field. And Fernando Tatis Jr. is a future star in this league. He, in fact, he is in the conversation right now for NL MVP, if not leading the conversation for NL MVP. And everybody was upset at him on the field. Now, everybody in the media, all the players supported him. All the fans have supported him. Everybody is like, you do you, Fernando Tatis Jr. You keep hitting home runs. And that's exactly right. It's almost upsetting some of the comments that were made after this game. Rangers manager Chris Woodard said, uh, it's typically not a good time 3-0. It's kind of the way we were all raised in the game, but the norms are being challenged. Damn straight the norms are being challenged. In this day and age, in the day of Black Lives Matter and all the other upheaval, the good upheaval that's happening in our country... If you're saying the phrase, but the norms are being challenged, you're on the wrong side of history. The norms should be challenged. We should be pushing back. How dare he say something like that? Uh, the Padres manager made it seem like more of like a, you know, you should really be looking at the signs from third base coach kind of thing. He was more upset about that. And that he's a, he's a young kid and he'll, you know, he'll figure it out. But come on, still a dumb comment. You got to support your player here. This is an MVP level caliber player. And, you know, home runs are hard to come by. All the former players that have been interviewed have all said some days that 3-0 fastball might be the only hittable pitch you see all day. You got to swing at it. You got to take advantage of it. So I'm just like every other podcast out there, every other sports reporter out there, every other fan, every other player. I 100% support Fernando Tatis Jr. in swinging away. Let the kids play. Let's keep this game fun. All right, that's the big story going on nationally. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Pittsburgh. It's the Indians 6, the Pirates 3. Later tonight, Aaron Savali takes the mound against Brault for the Pirates. So let's see if the Indians can keep things rolling. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can now 
email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>